0: I had taken over and I was 32. So still very young in, in what I consider the chef world. And, and I still wanted to learn from somebody and I still wanted to grow with somebody. And you know what happens to where the chef leaves and then boom, you you have the keys, you're going to take over. And I had a really great support system around me, allowing me one to run this place, but also giving some, some pretty hard-nosed advice of like, just let's just ride this for a little bit You're going to grow into this, learn how to run this space, and then we'll sprinkle in who you are as a chef and how you're growing into being a chef. And I would say it took about three years before I can really start to put who I was into this place or what I was about with food into this place. And now looking back on it, obviously, it's a great move. Every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the U.S. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists from around the country. Today, we are talking Mexican cuisine with my guest, Chef Rick Lopez, from the restaurant La Condesa in Austin, Texas. Recently nominated as a semi-finalist for the prestigious James Beard Award, La Condesa is a radiant gem in Austin's vibrant culinary landscape. Rick Lopez, a San Antonio native and now the executive chef of La Condesa, has been instrumental in shaping its unique, authentic Mexican flavor profile. From his childhood, full memories in San Antonio to his start in culinary arts, We will explore his mentors, his inspiration, and his journey to embracing his Mexican heritage. We'll delve deep into the secret sauce that sets La Condesa apart on how they are forging meaningful relationships with local farmers and growers. We'll also pick Chef Lopin's brain about his leadership style, his role in La Condesa's evolution, and how he mentors the next generation of culinary artists. You can follow us on any podcast platform and subscribe to our newsletter on the website flavorsunknown.com. Get ready, fasten your flavor seatbelts, because it's going to be a mouth-watering ride. Let's dive right
0: in. Hi, Chef. How are you? Doing so good. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: No, it's really excited to you know, to have you on the show this time, focusing on you and La Condesa. Because yes. last time was a panel discussion with Edgar Rico and Andrea Terra.
0: Two amazing so, chefs. But yeah, yeah, we had a good time then yeah, too.
1: It was fun. Talking about the restaurant, that's the big news. You know, La Condesa has been nominated as like the semi-finalists, James beard. Yes. Uh, nominees for 2023. So what was your reaction and and the reaction of the team, you know, about the news.
0: Yeah. We got the news on January 25th that we were semi-finalists for Outstanding Restaurant. And uh, if I can like bring in my morning, how it was that day it happened. My my wife was reading an article. She said, you're nominated. You're nominated. And I was like, for, wh- for what? I have to go in. Like, tell me what you're reading. She's like, I can't get to the bottom of it. She's like, Outstanding Restaurant. And previously, the restaurant was nominated, I believe, for a new restaurant in 2009, you know, James Beard. So I was like, well, maybe it's an old article. Maybe somebody's just, you know, like, wow, how neat. What a great restaurant. And I said, well, I got to go. I'll, I'll call you later. I pick up my phone and I get a, a text from our food and beverage director of operations three words incredible, all in caps. Incredible, incredible, incredible. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm meeting him today whatever put the phone down get in my truck and the phone just starts buzzing like crazy so i knew at that moment something was big i still did not check i didn't check anything got to the restaurant i saw the text and they said congratulations for the nomination and i it, i was numb i had freaked out it was a busy day you know obviously i had to call a plumber i had to call an electrician i had an interview to do so the nomination was almost at the back of my mind of these Three things that I had to take care of, but the whole day was incredible. We got to celebrate as a team and talk about it and and share, even with the teammates that don't know what a James Beard Award is, which is Wow, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, that, that to me is like a, a warm feeling where not all of my my porters or line cooks or prep team understands the weight of it, and I'm perfectly okay with that. In fact, it's it's sobering, you know, in in, in what we do here. So it was a great day. And then from that point to where we are now, it's been amazing and positive and great. And I'm really learning how to accept uh, compliments because I'm not so good with that in in real day life. But it's been awesome. Restaurant has been busy. You can feel the glow on the entire staff. And I think the best part about it is it's the line of outstanding restaurant where it's not just one program or one chef or anything like that. We work as a team in one unit and that excites me. Yeah, Very
1: good. Yeah, so let's keep the finger crossed. You yeah, know, for <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> the weeks right? to come. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Very good. You grew up in San Antonio, correct? So, if I remember well, so what? What's the food and uh, the smells that reminds you of
0: of your childhood? Wow, we were just talking about that last night with my sister. I was born and raised in San Antonio. I lived there 18 years, and you know the smells of the food that was going on in our you know, situation was a lot of flour tortillas, a lot of really crispy flour tortillas that my grandma would like keep on the comal throughout the day, and we'd have for snacks later on, coffee, and we're just talking smells right now, soups, chilies like crazy, lots of different herbs, epazote, cilantro, parsley, things of that nature, rosemary. And the food was very simple. You know, we didn't I didn't come from this awesome family of just amazing food and whatnot. It was just food, but it was Mexican food. You know, once you grow up and figure out, oh, sure. I'm eating tacos It was a family day. food. Yeah. yeah, it's family food. So really good warm memories. My parents, my dad would take us out to eat at a lot of diners or like really small hole in the walls, get some tacos here and there. It was always a celebration too, whether it was early morning, late nights, in the middle of the day, we would have a sit down meal at a restaurant or, you know, grandma was cooking something like menudo. If it was Manudo, that was like New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day situation. And she didn't know how to make Manudo other than make like gallons of this soup. So it's if you don't know what Manudo is, it's you know, tripe, pig's feet, some hominy, oregano, tomatoes, things of that nature. Yeah, that was San Antonio for me. Just really simple food memories and so it's interesting because from all the discussion I had with the
1: chefs, I think on the on the podcast, you're the first one talking about your parents or your dad bringing you to restaurants. So what kind of restaurants that you guys were going to? Yeah,
0: so we, you know, I grew up in this certain part of town where it was northwest part of San Antonio and he worked in downtown San Antonio. But he's born and raised there as well. So he had just all these little nooks and crannies all over the city. Sometimes some of the food we would eat would not be in the safest of areas. And he was like, look, we're here. They eat, we eat, we're going to hang out.
1: And was it Mexican food?
0: Mexican food. Tex Mex. Tex Mex food. Diner food. I remember like eating omelets and hash browns and not for breakfast. Okay. You know, like almost like breakfast all day. Breakfast all day, (laughs) any day. (laughs) Little delis within downtown, too. I, I remember Shiloh's in downtown San Antonio, like a little German delicatessen where we would have like, you know, pastrami sandwiches, sauerkraut, mustard, some minestrone soup. Like things of that nature. And and I think that's what my dad really enjoyed is just sharing those really small feels of a diner, of just really good, warm service and like okay food. But it made everything an experience. Tacacito was this place he would take us to, which was, you know, about 20 minutes away from the house. And that later turned into what we now know as Taco Cabana. Yeah. So I think those situations just really formed. An idea that food is not just to be eaten, but kind of experienced as a whole. So
1: when did the spark, you know, came up for you to say, this is something that I want to,
0: you know, make my career or at least, let's say, you know, training? Sure. It's, you know, my my three-year-old just asked me that. Why do you want to be a chef? And, you know, it was really, it was a point of, I think when my mother both of my parents worked full-time, right? When my mother would put these meals together for us, it was now in retrospect, looking back, it was probably the most difficult thing of her day to get home in time, get assorted, have the food ready, make sure the food is good. I kept asking a lot of questions like, why wouldn't you do this with a chicken? Or why wouldn't you do this? And she's like, you know, would you want to do it yourself? Yes, ma'am. I would like to try it myself. And I burned a lot of dinners for us, actually. I burned a lot of chicken. I ruined a lot of canned beans. And I just started going from there. And that kind of piqued my interest. But also, I played a lot of soccer, youth soccer growing up. And at a really high competitive level, you know, I knew I wasn't going to college for my soccer career. I didn't have great grades in high school. In fact, I say now I I did as little school work as possible. And I still wanted a team atmosphere around me. I wanted to learn food, understand food. And the first time I saw a kitchen was in McDonald's in my first job. And just the teamwork needed to put out food and a lot of it was mind blowing to me. I didn't learn how to balance flavors at McDonald's. I didn't learn how to like balance the salt, but you can see where you can grow from that. And I was, I think I was 17 maybe 16 or 17. And just from that point on, I just wanted to keep advancing in the field, helping others, having that teamwork, team first atmosphere around me. Did some culinary school, did my internship, and then you just, you just grow with it. I fell in love with it at about, at about 21 years old. I was here in Austin working at a deli and the owner was really nice to me. He was great with me. I think he could see something in me that I had not recognized yet. And he's like, dude, you got to get out of the deli. You got to go work somewhere else, and yeah, I, almost 21 years later now, it's just brought me to this point of still being curious, still working within teams, trying to understand as much as I can of food, still learning. Like once once you stop the learning, you you need to figure something else and, out.
1: And I've, did you have at one point in your career kind of a switch between this is what I'm doing, you know, to get you know my money and income and so on and to live towards like, this is my passion and I'm going to really invest.
0: Yeah, there was definitely a feeling of when, because I had a a group of friends that, you know, they went to the big university and they studied and, you know, didn't work in kitchens like I did. And I think when I went into my internship, when I left Austin to go into Maine to go do a, a season over there, I think on that plane, on that little plane from Boston to Bangor, I just, I can't even describe that feeling now, but something washed over to where I was going into maybe my career at that point. I didn't know what I was going to get into, but I was like, this is it. I have left my state. I've left my state. I've left all my friends behind. I'm going into work, into this field that I studied for, into this field that I thought I loved. And the passion grew there. I worked so many hours, so many days, so long, and it didn't phase me. I loved it. It was almost like an addiction of like I can work all day. And I did. You know, I woke up, showered, went to the garden, went to the docks, sorted that food, brought it back, cooked it, did lunch for the staff, and like that little rhythm right there of I think it was about three or four months of that, I loved it. It was it was my thing at that point. And I was I think I was twenty four years old. So I think at that point on that plane, if you had a Take it all back to Inception, right there, just washed over me where I was like, all right, here I go, out of my element and into something completely new. I think it's important for, you know, if there's
1: any like culinary students that are listening to the podcast that, you know, graduating from the CIA or Johnson Wells and the others, you know, it's not the end. It's, it's not, you know, a lot of them feel that now that's it. I, I arrived and so on. It's the beginning, in fact, and they have to find their voice and, and it takes time. Especially the new generation has to understand that it's going to take time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess along those lines too. I I did community college here in Austin, and you know I didn't even like walk the stage or anything because I didn't feel that that was the end for me. It it was the beginning. I think my parents were not so happy that I didn't you know take time to wear a cap and gown and do all that stuff. But I was like, this is not the end. And yeah, once you're out there, you're out there.
1: So where were your mentors along the way and what did you learn from them?
0: I look a lot to, if it's like a quick rapid, like where my brain goes to now, Gavin Kaysen at Café Baloud, who is in Minnesota now, was probably one of the biggest pushers that I've ever had in in all of my kitchens because he was a relatable human being. He was already coming to us from his Bocusta or from his working in in Europe and very smart very sharp very savvy not a typical chef that I had seen at that point you know I was I think 27 26 or 27 in New York and the way he spoke to us the way he handled himself in the kitchen the way he handled every scenario in the kitchen was inspiring but also to sit down with him one on one was something that was I just did not get that anywhere else you know Every day consistently with any other chef. But, you know, I've had great ones in San Antonio as well. But Gavin is really the one that made a team out of kind of nothing at that moment in time. We were going through a switch from a, a French chef into an American chef, and that was difficult. But even to this day, the way he talks to his team or his former chefs, it's it's almost all love the way it feels like. Are you still in contact with him? Here and there. You know, I think we all met up at, we were at a wedding probably about three or four years ago. Aaron Blue Doran got married and all these these chefs got together. We hadn't seen each other in so long, but you know, Gavin remembered the, the times that he had with all of us and, yeah, we'll drop each other a message every now and again. He's so busy, so sure. I'm not bugging him. No, I you will know? <laughs> let him reach out first. But I, I sure. think he's one he of had those. it's
1: not too long ago, correct? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so. and I guess another one too is uh, a friend that we made here at La Condessa's, Chef Marcus Samuelson, someone that I looked up to before he even knew who I was. We did a lunch from here. We kept in contact now almost twelve years or so, and he is the one that gives me some of the most raw conversation that that I need of, hey, where are you at? Hey, where are you taking your food? How are you? How's the family? Are you still playing soccer? I mean, real questions like that you don't get very often, especially from a chef of his caliber. I, I take everything he says and I I put it into my my filters and I say, you know what? You're right. I haven't checked in with myself. I haven't checked in with my 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 true self and the and the inner parts of my workings, but he's always that one to keep it real. So the two
1: examples that you gave of those two chefs, in fact, what you got from them, it's more at the human level and the way how to interact with people within like a team or you know within the, the restaurants and so on. So more than skills or techniques or yes, you know, or even business, you mm-hmm. know, side of the.
0: Yeah. And I I feel drawn to that because at the end of the day, we're human beings. We're we're here to to do the best that we can. And those two two people have really helped me. And if you want to talk about other chefs teaching me techniques, there's plenty of those. And I love that too, because that's part of it. But I think on the human levels too, where people feel the most connection, because there's a lot of stress here. There's a lot of good times, bad times, and a lot of moments where you think you're not made for this industry. And if somebody can connect with you and get you on that, like, normalcy you're you're good you know at least at least for me
1: so when the whole story with lacondessa started because obviously lacondessa existed yes. before you joined yes. correct so so who who created in fact because it's been what 13 years Something. we days?
0: are going to turn 14 in 14. three days okay it's so not 14, 14 okay 14 years very angsty teenage years you know yeah, so the, the creators of this restaurant, the opening chef is Rene Ortiz and Laura Sawicki. And Rene used to run La Isquina in New York City, a restaurant that we always wanted to go to. We just, we, we never had enough money and it was always just like really packed to get into. So the, he was the opening chef. Laura was the pastry chef. The team that we have in tech now is uh, one of our owners, Delfo Trombetta, who was you know, CEO here for our New Waterloo hospitality group and Jesse Herman. They had previously done some concepts in Dallas, Texas, something along this line, and then when they came to Austin, the area that we're sitting in now in this restaurant did not exist 14 years ago. There's a hotel across the street did not exist. This whole Second Street district did not exist. So this restaurant was at the base of a condominium just hoping it would survive. And the concept was street tacos. Mexican food, but of the essence of La Condesa, which is the borough in Mexico City. So if you haven't been to La Condesa in Mexico City, it's very like artsy, hit, bohemian, very cool, quiet, lots of great parks in there with lots of dogs everywhere. But we wanted to bring or the team wanted to bring this style of or that vibe to Austin. And originally when it opened, yeah, there was a bunch of tacos on the menu. There was spirits that are still on the menu today. Some new things that maybe diners hadn't seen before, like we love coche, which is that corn fungus on the corn. I still have that on the menu, but it was supposed to be this fun thing, vibrant to Austin and specific to, I guess, a special type of cuisine that was happening, like street food you know, phase that was happening 13, 14 years ago. And we're still here. So we've made it and we've done you know, many different iterations of it and had to grow and learn from ourselves. But it's been great. This, this whole little area is now awesome and thriving.
1: Can you get into like the situation where you know you you take over here and how do you balance the fact that it's an existing business with already existing customers that are, you know, used to a certain menu and then the willingness probably even on your end to you know, bring, you know, your signature dishes and your fingerprint and so on. So how do you balance that aspect?
0: I had taken over and I was 32. So still very young in, in what I consider the chef world. And and I still wanted to learn from somebody and I still wanted to grow with somebody. And, you know, it happens to where the chef leaves and then boom, you, you have the keys, you're going to take over. And I had a really great support system around me. I had leadership and ownership allowing me one to run this place, but also giving some some pretty hard-nosed advice of like just let's just ride this for a little bit. you're gonna grow into this, learn how to run this space and then we'll sprinkle in who you are as a chef and how you're growing into being a chef. And it didn't it wasn't written down like that or anything and they didn't say it, but you know the actions that were there proved to be and and I trusted the team and the team trusted me. And I would say it took about three years before I can really start to put who I was into this place or what I was about with food into this place. And now looking back on it, obviously it's a great move. It was a I don't I wouldn't say it was a calculated move because it's tough when a chef leaves, right? And you have to work with somebody new, me at that moment. But it was a move that was that had a great payoff. Was it a gamble? Man, I don't know. Probably on, on ownership's end, but you know, my word to them was like, I'm just going to honor this place. I didn't open this place. And there was always a little part of me that felt like it's not mine, you know, but I've made it something that is. Do you close think it's yours to now? I think it's mine now. Okay. You know, I, I think it's mine now, but.
1: And the team, but yeah. Sure.
0: And and everything in between. But sure. yeah, it was tough. And there was a lot of chefs too. They're like, yo, man, you're going to switch the menu. And I was like, I, I couldn't even if I wanted to. But that's a smart. Yeah. You know, cuz I decision. had to recognize that and grow into it also because had I put everything on that I wanted to, I don't think I'd be here. I don't think I would still be here. So, all is well.
1: So, how did you move into like Mexican cooking because I remember from if I'm correct from the conversation and I didn't really listen to our panel discussion, but when we had that panel discussion with Andre and uh, Edgar, that Like a lot of chefs that comes from a certain heritage, you didn't jump into Mexican cooking when you started, you know, it was like classically French cooking and so on. So you embrace your heritage, you know, later. So what inspired you to tap into your heritage at one moment?
0: Yeah. So I I originally wanted to come to this space, one, to work with René, to to feel this vibe, you know, to understand what he was putting into, but... I had done the French cuisine. I had done that you know, whole part. I just needed to now tap in personally to myself. I needed to give more to myself. And I wasn't doing that cooking in other kitchens. And I was it was me. It was nobody else other than myself that was trying to get away from myself, if that makes any sense. But when I came here, back to Texas, I knew I wanted to give back to my heritage. I knew I wanted to give back to maybe even showing my… My parents, now it turns into a therapy session, right? I, I wanted to show my parents that I can do something that's for us and for our culture and for the upbringing. And it's, it's given me so much more than that. I mean, I, I had to study Mexican food, not Tex-Mex food. I had to study…
1: Did you go to La Condesa?
0: Yeah, I went to La Condesa yeah. as soon as I could. I think, I think the week where it all kind of like switched over, I was in Condesa and the news broke. So of course, right? you're in another country and then, hey, when you come back, you're now the chef of this restaurant. But studying Condessa, studying other chefs that are running Mexican food restaurants, learning from my staff, you know, trying to listen to them and what they've experienced. And then you just you just grow. And it doesn't happen overnight or within a, a year or you know anything like that. It was a lot of like going inward, tasting so many different items burning so many different chilies past the point of like recognition, trying to get that mole just right, all those things, you know, you just had to like almost reteach yourself what you had learned previously. So I, I guess it was as simple as that, going to Condesa as many times as possible and tasting it's trial by error, really.
1: So how do you think now like Condesa is different from other Mexican restaurants here in in Austin?
0: You know, it's great. It, it's great to be different because I'm not, of Mexican descent. I was nationalized here in the United States, born in San Antonio, Texas. So my fight is different, just like everybody else's fight is. My fight, my story is different to where even in my kitchen now, like the, the team will make fun of my accent in Spanish because it's it's so, why is it so fast? Why are you like talking so sharp? I was like, I learned really great Spanish in New York City. And I had to learn the way Puerto Ricans spoke and Dominicans and Mexicans and Guatemalans and Colombians. And I, I just adapted from there. So it's like, you know, I'm still learning from them. I think it's different because I'm still learning the cuisine myself. I love working locally and sourcing locally and using anybody we can within Central Texas or the state of Texas. And when I'm putting forward these dishes, I don't have the same experience as like if I were to be growing up in Mexico I just have these experiences of when I go travel to Mexico or maybe my dad finally remembers, oh, when I was seven, my grandmother cooked this or my grandfather cooked this. That's what I'm working off of. And when you look at Mexican cuisine as as, as a whole, it's dynamic. It's The street food is so wild and the culture itself does not discriminate on what they eat or how they eat. So is like the
1: background story like for La Condesa still connected to Mexican street food and evolve from like being tacos to something else related to street food because I'm obviously when you look around in Austin there's a lot of places where you can eat tacos. So that restaurant La Condesa had to evolve yes to stay
0: absolutely unique. Absolutely. Yeah I mean we still you know, everything inspires me the trees, the music, the weather, the people, the sights, the sounds, the colors, whatever. I can just grab inspiration. There might be special cards that come out one week and we can do Gringas al Pastor. And that's a flour tortilla with pastor and cheese inside and crispy cheese looking on the outside. Or, you know, barbacoa tacos or alambre tacos. And the whole special card can just be like wild like that. Or the next week or two weeks after that, we can do a bunch of different crudos or ceviches. Or really tight dishes with like maybe five or six ingredients in them, but really highlight what the beef is, or what the vegetable is, or what we've sourced especially from our corn millers and whatnot. So I, you know, you can play anywhere within those those realms of because you know Mexico City is the same way. You go, you can eat street tacos all day and then go sit down and have a dinner at Buil at nine p.m. and be like, damn, you know, blown away. So I I try to balance that here with Austin because. You know, we have so many different people moving in to this state from all over. And that's my favorite part is trying to balance who our clientele are as well.
1: So you're talking about ingredients. So who does, like on this, source its ingredients from?
0: When we can, we source local. And I think that's the best part about it because it's relationship based.
1: Uh, you know? yeah, so how do you develop those relationships? What's your approach to it? Like you know, working with
0: farmers? At the core of who I am, I'm an introvert for life. And it's it's hard for me sometimes. To You're an introvert.
1: Friends. I'm an introvert. I will not man. look at you like this now that I know you a little bit. I, I'm yeah, an it's introvert. easy to to connect with you.
0: Yeah, I, I love talking, but it's I'm not going to outwardly go try to find a new friend, maybe one because of age, but also just it's hard for me. So when farmers come in or I've, I'm out at the farmers market, if there's something I like, I can't hide that. So if it's like these radishes, I just got to be like, hey, what's up? I mean, what do you got? What are these radishes about? And then you just You start talking, you feel their passion, and I feed off of that a lot. So a lot of the guys and gals that I have in this restaurant, in our little web, they're friends too. We'll text, happy Thanksgiving to each other, and we'll text, how are the dogs? And that's how it goes. I've known these people for almost as long as I've been here. And you know, if and when this place ever decides to close down, or I leave, or whatever happens, those will be like real true friends at the end of the day, because you've helped them in times, and they've helped you, so... Yeah. So how
1: does that work? The dynamic with the farmers? Are they reaching out to you to say, hey, this is what's available, you know, this week and so on? And then you are starting your thinking about the menu based on on this. Do you as well have a program with them to say that you ask them to grow things, you know, for you?
0: Or so you know, I'll never ask a farmer to like grow things for me. I'm not I because I, I wouldn't know how to start that. So I'm not gonna ask anybody to do something that I don't know how to do, but it's like what's available. How much do you got? What if I bought two rows from you every two weeks? Those are the questions we ask. And then it's like, yeah, we can do that. Okay, now what if I bought 30 pounds and then I said I wanted 60 pounds? Yeah, we can do that too. That's the way I work with them. And it's I love those texts. Like I'm texting all the time. If it's sunchokes that are like, they need to get moved from Sam Lash. Okay, then I'll buy the sunchokes. And then I got to figure out on my end, what are we going to do with them? Are we going to crispy them? Are we going to puree them? Are we going to pickle them? What are we going to do? Hey, I've also got these onions and nobody wants them. Well, I'll take them. We'll burn them, put, put them into an oil, we'll chop them, whatever it is, salsa. So we work like that. I'm, I'm not trying to like strong arm anybody into doing something that they're not comfortable with. But if they've got that excess or if the freeze is coming, I'll try to buy up lettuces and kale and everything like that.
1: Okay. And so, when you know, what's the next phase? So, when you have access to those products, is it like a collaboration effort with, with your team? Do you have like first a step on your own to say, you know, because you were talking before, the inspiration can come from everywhere. So what's what's the step for you to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do with those produce?
0: Yeah, it's everybody has a part. I don't want to accept when somebody's quiet in the kitchen. If somebody's shy, and, I, and I, you know you've got the one shy chef now, if he's shy about it, then I'll, I'll probe him first. I'm like, hey, man, what do you think about these? Never seen them before? I've never seen them before either. Wink, wink. So I try to make him feel comfortable. And I said, you know, you you can do this with it. Maybe do five different techniques with it. Hey, at the end of the day, if we don't find anything we want to do with it, let's turn it into a taco. And that's what I'll say. If you're not feeling like a dish or not feeling like any kind of preservation from it, at the end of the day, this could be a taco. And this goes from my executive, Sue, who's now... We just promoted them to CDC, to the two sous chefs, to the line cooks. Because they look over the past too. They accept some of those orders. They're like, hey, I signed for this. What is this? Oh, well, this is this. I got 20 pounds. If we do something nice, we can get 20 pounds by Thursday. And that's how we talk about it. And then the inspiration is from from everybody. We have Frank, who's maybe thinking of doing like a soup or a base for a salsa, And then Edgar's like, oh, I've worked for this before. My dad used to eat it with just tortillas and like chile. And Cody's like, oh, maybe we just turn it into a soup and like have this soup because it's going to be cold this weekend. You know, living in Texas, it could be cold today and then not tomorrow. And then maybe management from front of the house comes down. They're like, oh my God, my grandmother used to grow these things. And we used to do this. It's literally kind of like that. I don't want it to be closed off at all with food because food is not closed off. I take the inspiration from anywhere. And that's how that goes. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, I might say, yeah, awesome. Or I might just say, I don't think any of that's going to work. Let's go here. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we should have thought of that. But I'm not like the overall saying of like, this is right and this is wrong. You know, they just feel comfortable because I feel comfortable with it. But everyone has a part. Everyone has a say. And I think that's the best part about the kitchen and then those are my friends at the end of the day too so yeah it's a good help
1: how does seasonality play a role and i'm curious as well to see how is it different from the state of texas compared to maybe other parts of the country because you know when i had like conversation with chef from denver they said hey the window is very narrow you know when you have like produce at the peak you know on on their you know maturity and so on so their approach to menu creation and role of techniques like pickling and so on is you know, very important of the way they work. Just curious, as I know your menu is connected to seasonality, I'm, yes. I'm
0: just curious how it works for you. Yeah, so it's, I mean, Texas is, it's nuts. It's crazy. You have extended periods of seasonality or sometimes you have that shortened window because we literally can freeze and then be super hot within four or five months of that season right there. So I still like to play into pickling, preserving. Because one, it's a fun technique to have in your arsenal as a young cook and as a chef. And then with seasonality, that's where it gets tricky because you have a menu, right? And this menu has to reflect a little bit of stability, a little bit of continuity for your guests. And you can't, at least where I'm at in this space, I couldn't switch it every day, nor would I want to. So you have to balance that also. But what we do is we have you know specials or features that we throw down. And those will highlight... What I like to say is like hyper-seasonality of sweet potato or broccoli is happening right now or cauliflower back in December. That's the way we balance it. And as far as like procuring that, the questions go back to the farmers too. Oh, I got cauliflower. Okay, well, how much? Well, we've got this. I, I'll, I'll try to buy it all if I can. If not, I'll split it for the next week or whatnot. But I want to see where I'm getting into. If I'm going to put down this menu item, for me, it's got to last... I'd say like a quarter, you know, like three or four months. And then we can switch it from then. Or if it's only going to be like a two week thing, then it goes onto a special feature and we go, all right, at lineup, here we go. We have this super great broccoli that's happening right now from these winter citrus that are happening right now. Like winter citrus is a thing here in Texas from the valley. I heard about that. It's yes. delicious. And they're so plentiful too. So it's just So crazy. what kind of citrus? We get pineapple oranges. We get lemons. We get oranges. We get grapefruits. And this is coming from like Hidalgo County near the border. So the South Texas, North Mexico area. So that's the way we work. And then with trying to like make sure everything balances, you just really have to keep in mind what menu is this going to go on. The standing menu or the specials?
1: Do you have it at the menu at the moment? Yeah. The citrus? Yeah. So have, I have dinner tonight here. You got so, dinner tonight. So
0: what should I do? So you know, if order? we're talking like the citrus right now, the pineapple oranges are in your marmalade for your tres leches.
1: Mm, and okay. then we had, These are, okay.
0: we had too much grapefruit come in the other day and people were freaking out. And I was like, well, eat some if you want some or drink some. And then we turn it into marmalade. You know, that's, that's as easy as that goes. Broccoli that we got last week from Hondo, Texas. See, we originally wanted cauliflower. Cauliflower wasn't available. Freak out. Oh my gosh, they didn't have cauliflower. And I was like, in my head, I was like, broccoli then. Broccoli. Chef says, yes, broccoli is available. I was like, then get the broccoli. We'll, we'll treat it the same way we would have the cauliflower. So Um, what is the
1: dish then on the menu? It's so good.
0: It's roasted broccoli. Yeah. Like really seared pretty hard to get that like nice char on it, good crust. And then I love this little like Greek condiment called Skordalia. So it's almond, lemon zest, lemon juice, garlic, and a little bit of oil just to like, you know, fatten it up a little bit, get it glossy. And then salsa matcha. Mm -hmm. So like the crispy garlic chili situation. And then preserved lemons on the base of that and then more like lemon zest on the top. So it's like a bright, charred, spicy, nutty thing going on and it's vegan. So when vegans see food like that, they're like, oh my gosh, I get to use a steak knife? I'm like, yeah, for your vegetables. <laughs> so that one's fun right now. And then we were doing like a pastor quesadilla over the weekend too, just because I love pastor. And one of my chefs makes it really good. Edgar's doing a really nice job with it. So, yeah, that's what we got going on right now.
1: So, as we're talking about recipe, I always ask, you know, the guests on my podcast and pick their brain about a suggestion for, you know, more like home cooks to execute something with the style of the chef. So, obviously, we are here like on Dessa, So, we are thinking about tacos. And can you suggest like something that I could make at home, but with, you know, Rick Lopez twist on it.
0: Yeah. So, like, I can go to the easiest one right now. So, Picadillo, you know, the ground beef potato situation. Normally, what people would do is go buy that little spice pack, you know, the Taco Tuesday spice pack, and then like throw that into your meat at the end. You don't need to do that. The twist that we do here at the restaurant, if we do it, is you get the beef. We usually get high quality beef from 44 Farms. We'll cut our potatoes and rinse those. Sear the beef really hard. Get it crispy. People never do that part, right? So you get it really crispy. And then we have, I don't know, like six or seven different salsas at any given time. You can buy a jar of salsa with your ground beef and do it that way if you wanted to. But we make our salsa in-house. We burn the chilies. We char the chilies. We fry the garlic. Which chilies
1: should we use? I, mean, uh, I understand that If it's dry,
0: like that. chile de arbol. Okay. Or even like a morinito, which is like a blonde smoked chipotle. Or, moren- or sorry, mulato, which is like a like a blustery, like fruity type chili that's not too spicy. Get that all pureed with like all your vegetables. It's got a dark color to it. So we, it's like tatemado. So it's like charred, you know. That can go into your beef. And what it does, since you've built… Right? We're talking technically now. You've built that fond with all of your beef. you got those crispy bits that you're trying to scrape up. Yeah. The wet chili goes in. It's a deglaze. It's a refry. You cook it down. Everything gets all added in there. All the flavors are in the beef. All you got to do at that point is salt and pepper it and you have something delicious. It tastes like, oh, it's been cooking all day, but it's like, no, man, this is like maybe two hours tops, you know? And we can do tostadas with that. We can do quesadillas. We can do crispy little shells with that if we wanted to. But that's like family for us in the kitchen. That's cool.
1: And then do you add, if you do a quesadilla, do you add cheese? Always add cheese. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's what one kind of the things too. Like when you travel to Mexico City, if you ask for a quesadilla, make sure you say you want cheese because mm-hmm. they won't give you the cheese. No. You've probably experienced yeah. that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and what kind of cheese do you use for that? Then?
0: The Dos Lunas Clasico. So okay. it's the the local artisans, and he makes us. It's a so Dos Lunas is two moons. He ages it for two moons, and his classic mix was the first that he ever made.
1: It's a cow milk or is it a cow. sheep? Okay, cow cow milk. Okay.
0: So. You know, when we get it, it's got like a little bit of funk onto it, but it melts really quickly. So for us, it's great in the kitchen if we got to get them out really quickly. But if it hits the planche, it crisps up too.
1: So if someone cannot find those, you know, if I am in New York. I would say like a Monterey
0: Jack. Okay,
1: Monterey Jack. Okay, very cool. So before you were, you know, mentioning working with your team and having the collaboration and, you know, you have obviously a specific style in terms of, you know, collaborating how would you describe your leadership style?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's grown obviously, right?
1: And how has that changed? Yeah. Yeah, Like over time.
0: It's grown into, I feel, you know, we talked about kids earlier and how things like change and whatnot in your, your moment. But I think once I, our first daughter was born, who's going to be eight now, you really, you have to go inward all over again and find that balance of who you want to be as a person and how you want to be as a leader. I think the way you achieve that is every single day, you got to you gotta challenge yourself. You got to wake up and say, all right, balance this out on this end. Make sure home is happy. Make sure you're happy. You go into the kitchen and you just start making people feel comfortable. Hello. Hi, how are you? How was your weekend? What did you do yesterday? How was that one time when you went to go eat at that place? Because that makes me feel comfortable. And I love when people, you know, my, my wife calls it the art of chit-chat. Well, sure, but I really genuinely want to know how people are, you know, because the pandemic screwed it all up for us. You know, it, it really kind of reset one myself, but it reset our industry. And I think thinking in terms of how you want to have your team happy helps you become a better leader. And and by saying that, I want people to feel like this is a comfortable, free space for them to. I would I wouldn't say escape their outside life, but maybe take a break for a second from not having electricity this week from our freeze or not being able to go whatever outside of work whatever that scenario is but i want people to feel whole in themselves comfortable in this space happy that people here actually you know speak to them and talk to them because in some restaurants it's not really always like that and i want people to feel like they have a say here and i want people to feel like they can be themselves cuz like i said it's maybe i haven't said this but you know restaurants are a scary place it's loud it's fast you cook with four or five other people for 250 people and you have a section of six or seven tables and there's people at the bar that just can't understand why it takes so long to get a cocktail you know all those things i want the staff to feel themselves to be themselves to give a part of themselves to 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 this space and the way you do that is really just wholeheartedly like giving them some of you you know, it's it's this line that I used with our ownership the other day. It's servant leadership. And there's a book out there by James A. Autry where it's the servant leader. And he talks about if you're going to give yourself to a team, it's got to be 100%. You cannot fake that. You cannot fake that because someone will see right through you. And it's going to be harder for you to lead that team. So I really believe in that. Whatever I can do for you at any time, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to say I expect that from you, but I know that if I give my whole self to you, you're going to give something back to this space. Because it's not for me. It's not for the management. It's not for the plants. It's not for the artwork. It's for this space that that I want you to work for. So I think leading that way every single day is hard, one, but it it pays off in the end.
1: How how many years have you been here?
0: Oh, man. I will be here 12 years in March. 12 years in March. Wow. So I started here when I was eight years old. So you guys can do that math.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for La Condesa?
0: Yo, man, I don't know. You know, with with this James Beard thing, I'm really, truly not trying to allow myself to think anywhere outside of just making this restaurant great. It, it was a shock. It still is a shock. But I just want this place to be good because... Austin is cool, man. Austin is dynamic. There's a lot of really awesome restaurants here, young chefs doing amazing things. And I just want to make sure that people remember La Condesa after 14 years. That's that's my one goal. And the way we do that is we keep growing, we keep advancing. You know, I do a lot of running in my outside life too and the line is when you're running these marathons, no matter how you move, keep moving forward. No matter how you move, you're going to walk a little bit. Walk a little bit. You're going to run, run. You're going to sprint, sprint. I think if we just keep moving forward and having a goal of being better each time, the next day, I think we're going to be okay. So I don't know. It's we're going to do our thing here at La Condesa, that's for sure. If it happens to be, you know, in this James Beard world, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I don't, I don't want that to be the goal for us here. I want it to be the same as just learn keep moving forward it's so simple and so i don't know i'm sure like people on our team would be like just be happy chef and i am happy but you know it's 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 hard work and i love it you know that grind is important too
1: so let's switch to the, the series of rapid fire questions uh, because you know we have been talking for more than 45 minutes already and by the way, I have to compliment your daughter. She is, you know, Maxine here with us. Uh, she's three years old and... She's
0: being yeah, so she, good right uh, now.
1: You and I are going on the tasting tour in Austin. So where are five locations that you are going to take me to outside of La Condesa?
0: Okay, first one, Habanero Cafe. I believe it's South 5th and Old Dorf. They do breakfast and lunch and close at three every single day. So like breakfast in the morning, like huevos rancheros, chorizo and egg taco, a bowl of beans, really simple. And like… Never been there. Dark, strong coffee. It's okay. awesome. That is like Austin right there. So that's one. Second one… Where do we get tacos from right now? Actually, I'll do the second one because Maxine is here. We go to this spot called Casey Donuts. It's in the suburbs. And I'm not a donut person. I just don't do donuts. But… My little one has gotten me to eat donuts. So I'll get the little pink glaze with sprinkles on it. And they're not bad. They're not… I mean, they, they do a nice job I of it. I don't
1: picture you eating pink glazed donuts. You know, you learn sprinkles. a lot of things.
0: <laughs> so, you know, it's got good texture. It's got like the the little crust on it. It's not too like greased out or anything like that. So that one's good. I don't even know if it's still around, but I'll talk about it anyway because it was amazing. Las Amazonas, taco spot on South Congress… That at the time it was open would only accept cash. And there I got alambre tacos, I got pastor, I got some quesadillas with tongue in them. They serve like the cokes in the bottle, the beer in the bottle. Delicious. I love kanji. I'm not just saying this because you saw Tavel a couple days ago, but kanji, yeah. we've been four times, my wife and I, and we've eaten once with with Chef and Chef Marcus. And that wasn't even the best time. You know, you think you're sitting with the chef and Chef Marky Samuelson and think it's the best time. That wasn't even the best time. We've gone other times and that place is just loud and vibrant and spicy and tangy and delicious and love that one. Really love kanji. And I think my last, was that four? My last one, and this is like where my palate is these days. People are going to be like, what? Sandy's Burgers on Barton Springs has been there, I think 75 years now. Sandy's Burgers sits next to a Water Burger, which is like this powerhouse of a burger spot, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone in Texas, oh, that Water Burger. Sandy's has been doing it longer. It's still there and is one of the most delicious, okay, salty, crispy burger patties ever. And they've got like the perfect ratio of like pickles and chopped white onion on there and mustard. I take my girls there, like my like my dad would take me to like the diner spot. We get Sandy's. We eat it in the truck. There's
1: maybe I should go there for lunch today. You then.
0: should go check it out, man. Yeah, you should go absolutely. check it out. Yeah, those are my spots.
1: What's your favorite guilty pleasure food?
0: I said it last time and I'll say it again. Doritos, the nacho cheese my, Doritos. Do you remember. Oh yeah. <laughs> because it's for real.
1: <laughs> do you do the one things where you put chili in the bag and
0: then no, no. No. It's no, just straight up that. I try to eat as many Doritos as I can in one sitting.
1: Okay. hmm Three cookbooks that inspired you the most.
0: I'm still going to say Jelena, and I know I said that last time, but Jelena, one, because of what they do with their condiments and how they use them throughout their space is amazing. Second one, and I have it in the library right now over here, is the, I think it's called, I think it's Battersby. Maybe we can switch this later. But Walker Stern and his partner, Joel, opened this restaurant in Brooklyn called Battersby. And Walker Stern was um, a sous chef of mine, or he was my sous chef when I worked at 81. And he taught me the most cleanest techniques ever. His cookbook is spot on. And then a third one. Hmm, yeah, what have I read recently? Oh my gosh, I do know. I'm reading it right now. Help me with the name of it. It's the Will Godera Hospitality Book. Oh, unforgettable. I know yeah. Hospitality.
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, the yellow cover. Yes. Correct? Yeah,
0: that book right there. It's not a cookbook, but it's a it's a recipe book of sorts mm-hmm. because it, it he helps published you like
1: really recently. Yeah, yeah it, I've seen
0: it. It helps you stay in line with one what your goals are for yourself, and then how you want your team to react to yourself. Okay, that one's awesome right now.
1: Good. Yeah, very good. Biggest pet
0: peeves in the kitchen. You know, I got one right now. It's and, and we're teaching all the time, but it's like the biggest pet peeve is. If you don't have your towels, someone's got your towels, right? <laughs> so we do a certain fold. Everyone gets, I think, a pack of five towels. And if you don't have your fold, that means it's soiled, so it's going away, right? So if you don't have your towels, someone has your towels is the thing, right? And then we're like, oh my gosh, where is it? Where is it? Fold your towels, put them in your bag or have them in your section folded nice and neat. If not, someone's going to take them. And you do find it. Someone's got like one and then like the grill cooks got like 23. I'm like, (laughs) Jose has the towels because he knew you're not playing the game right. So I guess it's the towel situation, but that's like, so like, I don't know, back burner situation. Like my chefs will not care about that, but I see it. I'm like, come on, man. Towel game. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Last question. What is like beside the classics like ketchup, mayo and mustard, like the condiment spice and sauces that uh, you like to have on
0: hand at home? Oh, at home, soy sauce. Okay, We use the kikoman, the girls love white rice and soy sauce, which is essentially rice and beans, Mm -hmm. right? Uh Fermented black beans there. We do a lot of soy sauce and then my wife and I use a lot of hoisin sauce. Okay, So there's a lot of dumpling situations going on, a lot of banh mi situations, but yeah, we use a lot of that in the house. Okay. Very good.
1: Chef, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Being on the show.
0: Thank you. My pleasure. I loved it. And We've thank been you, Maxime, uh, for to doing so good.
1: Yes, Maxime, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> all right, we'll see you soon.
1: And there you have it, my foodie friends. An amazing journey through the world of the chef Rick Lopez and La Condesa in Austin. Truly a journey of flavors, inspiration, and culinary passion that leaves us all a bit more hungry. If you found yourself in Austin, consider paying a visit to La Condesa. Don't forget to tell them flavors unknown send you. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Your loyalty and attention means the world to me. Remember, if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your fellow food enthusiasts. Until next time, keep your palates sharp and your hearts open to the delightful unknown. This is your host signing off for another taste-feeling episode of Flavors Unknown. Stay curious, stay hungry, and... Until then, keep the palate adventurous and your passion for food alive. And until then, keep in mind that the people who like to eat are always the best people.
0: Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at flavorsunknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.